Father God, we just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just come and you would fuse it with the Word of God and that you would feed us where you said, I am the bread of life, that we would be fed spiritually. You would feed our soul. We ask in Jesus' name as we come around your Word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. James, that's a great song, by the way. So, band, you did really good as well. <laughs> Loving that, uh, which is fantastic. It is without a shadow of a doubt. The reason I'm here today is because I had good godly parents um, who believed in the importance of teaching me the Word of God as a child. And, and I can't overstress that or make the importance of it. And so they knew that they lived their life built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And they believed that it wasn't just applicable to them, but it was applicable to their family, uh, to their children. Uh, and I think they had the vision and the foresight to see their grandchildren also following in that. I was brought up in Sunday school, and that's really an environment for children where we're taught the stories of Jesus Christ. And if you've got memories, you'll know this. You know, do you remember the songs that we used to sing that used to tell the stories that were found in the Bible? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Do you remember that song? You know, and the rains came tumbling down, and the floods came up, and the rains came down, and the, you know, and we know that story. And you'll find the passage in there if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter six, verse forty-seven to forty-nine. So we used to tell stories. Jesus told stories that were earthly, um, heavenly meaning with an earthly application. And so this whole connection of heaven and earth. And Jesus said these words, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the floods came up and the stream broke against the house that could not shake it because it had been well built, but the one who hears and does not do my words is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation or the sand. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 to 11 says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So I want to ask a question this morning. What are you building your life upon? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The man who hears my words and does them is like a wise man. So here's a question in relation to words. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the latest pop song? Are you listening to the news? You know, are you listening to parents from different generations, bygone past? Or are you listening to the words of God? On whose values are you standing? Because here's the point. If you hear the words of Jesus Christ and build your life on them, you will be unshakable. We need a touch of unshakability today, don't we? You watch the news, you feel nervy, you feel anxious, you feel worried. If you're involved in the stock markets and you've invested, you're probably looking at thinking, oh my goodness, I have no control over the outcome of what the world markets is because they are shaking. But the man and the woman who builds a house upon the rock, which is the teaching of Jesus Christ, will be unshakable. They will be solid. If you hear what I'm saying today and ignore it, as is your choice. And, and you respond by doing nothing about it. The Bible says everything you will build your life upon will be shaky and unsure. So I'm going to present a, a, a kind of a choice for you today to listen to the words of Jesus Christ and say, actually, I'm going to do that 
or it is not for me. And so we're going to run into a series and we're going to break them down. We're going to do one of these sessions every month for the next few months, right through to the end of the year, talking about foundations. Because I think it's really important that we understand on which we are built upon the foundations that Christ is calling to live by. Number one today, we're going to be talking about the foundation of the Word of God. We're also going to talk about Trinity and Jesus and salvation and sin and the new birth and baptism and the Holy Spirit and communion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go into all of those things in different stages. But today, I just want us to look at the Word of God. I want to put this statement up behind us because I want you to know what we believe. It is really important that you know the theology and the parameters of what it is. We believe that the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament, excluding the Apocrypha, I won't go into that for now, but just to say that's what we believe, is the inspired Word of God, the infallible, the all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, the infallible, the all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. John chapter 8 says this, verse 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if, right? If you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you, did you see that? The if, the faithful, the teachings, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You need to follow that as a process because you have a choice of if. If you follow whose teachings of Jesus Christ and you will know the truth. When you read the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He's gonna reveal himself to you in an incredibly powerful way and that truth in knowing Jesus Christ is gonna set you free inside. And that is the whole purpose of the Bible is to live in freedom. The Bible is a miracle of literary accomplishment. Some books take a lifetime to write. The Bible was composed over a period of 1,600 years. Some books require the collaboration of a team of scholars, but the Bible is a work of more than 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings and peasants and philosophers and fishermen and poets and statesmen and scholars. Portions of the Bible were written in the wilderness, a dungeon, a palace, in exile, in wartime, in peacetime. The Bible was written on three continents, in three languages, on hundreds of controversial subjects. It contains poetry and detailed history, biography, letters, memoirs, prophetic writings. And yet, this astoundingly diverse book speaks with astonishing continuity. It is uniquely powerful. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Just turn in your Bibles if you have it. You need to underline this particular passage because this is just a powerful passage that says all Scripture. Everybody say back to me, all Scripture. Okay? Every bit about it is inspired by God. Say to me, inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong with our life. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, I want to preface a little bit, if I can, just with a little bit of a modern news story. Did anybody see the news this week about um, the whitewashing of Roald Dahl's writings? Uh, did, did you see that? That I just... 
it, it, things like this slightly amuse me. That, that now in modern day, with Roldar, who's a well-known children's author, is going, oh, he was a great author, but we, we, don't, we need to take some of the words out because they're a little bit offensive. So they're cleaning the word ugly is no longer allowed to be written in children's fiction. And, you know, when he wrote the book about the witches and things like that, because witches are, are bold and, and have false hair, which is part of, just literally, okay, I'm not saying whether that's true or not. You understand, but he written it. And there's a little prefix of going, of course, it's okay to be bold in this society, just in case children were, wonder that. And there's this whole cleansing process of the publisher just trying to take out phrase and whitewash it. And, and, and there was loads of people going online and writing and making up. Even the Queen Consort, he's actually said this, you know, when she was talking this week to writers and publishers, she said this, please remain true to your calling, unimpeded by those who may wish to curb the freedom of your expression or impose limits on your imagination, enough said. Which is kind of a lovely thing. And then the publishers, by the end of the week, decided not to do that. So they put the words back in and they were all suddenly okay. But the reason I tell you that is because I've noticed in this history that we're facing as a culture that this is under attack too. Have you noticed? You know, and suddenly what is written in this book, there is an attempt to whitewash its content. To take out going, oh, that's quite challenging. You know, I'm not sure whether you are allowed to say that in the public sphere. And just to give you a couple of examples, Jonathan Gullis, who's a Tory MP, uh, launched an attack on the Church of England bishops. <laughs> and he is facing mockery for this quote, but it's up to you to whether you feel it's worthy of that. He was saying that bishops should stop using the pulpit to preach from. I, I think he, I, I thought he's obviously never been in church. And I, I read that, I'm going, hmm, I think that's exactly what they should be doing. And there was actually talking into the issue of the refugee crisis, you know, and shipping out immigrants to Rwanda, you know, and bishops have been really quite vocal on that. But it, it was just, just missed the euphemism of what is the role of a bishop in, in this. And it is fascinating. Labour MP for Rwanda, Sir Chris Bryant, said a former Anglican priest asked the leader of the house, Penny Morden, whether the time would be allowed in Parliament for legislation to push the Church of England into allowing same-sex marriages to be conducted in parishes of the clergy who want to do that if the sinner denied. He said that he suspected that this would be the view of the whole house. The point simply is this, that he feels that there's a moving parliament that we should dictate to the church what they should believe. That's fascinating, isn't it? You know, when we're bringing that challenge in, let me just push a scripture, or not push a scripture, present a scripture. It'd probably be better, isn't it? You know, because I don't want to be too pushy here, although you'll realize that the power of God is quite powerful. And he doesn't need me to push it, by the way, just to let you know it's there in there. Proverbs 22, verse 28. Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. There's a warning from Proverbs that's set forward in the Torah that it carries with the concept of not moving the established teachings of thought on a matter. And today it seems fashionable to change established biblical teachings on matters that affect society, such as a family, or parenting, or marriage, or divorce, or sexuality, or gender, or relationships, or lifestyle, or church. It feels like our boundaries are under attack. When we move divinely appointed boundaries, it creates a ripple effect that cascades through our collective understanding. So let me just turn to 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. That's really powerful, isn't it? 
It says that anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. There is a relationship that you should have with this book as the words of God, as the inspired words of God that talks about Jesus that we should hold to. Revelation 22 verse 18 says that if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to the person the plagues described in this book. Thanks. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove the person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. It is a warning that we need to pick up the word of God and live the word of God and know it even as it challenged. We're not called to whitewash it or to water it down. We're just to say, hey, this is what the Bible says. If you have an issue with what the Bible says, simple, you need to take it up with God. I'm just a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ which are found in this book. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, son will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. If you have a conscience, if you have something in your life that is able to tell you that what you're doing is not the best way, and maybe you should look at other things, that is God-given, God-inspired, God-placed, God-put to direct you to live in the right directions. When you turn away from this book, you start to deaden your conscience. When you live actively in sin, the one thing you know is sin has the ability to anesthetize your conscience for doing right. The more you do it, it becomes a habit and becomes an addiction and it anesthetizes you and you feel dead and numb inside. And the gospel of Jesus Christ came to die for every one of those sins. And he took that numbness, he took that pain, he took that separation and separation and he dealt with it so that you might know life inside. And you really know God, well, I know you love me. I know you're alive inside me because the living of God is living and it is active in our life. When we read it, the words of God being God breathed, like blown up a balloon, suddenly blow inside of us and suddenly we know God at work. Who's ever heard God speaking to them through this book? 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who near you. You realize that the salvation of us around you is based on yours. Watch your salvation. Watch the salvation of others. Live according to this word and the entrance of your word brings light. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14, you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know the truth, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. These words will give you the wisdom that leads you to the salvation that you can get by trusting in Christ Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which man must or can be saved. There's no other way. You can't just say, I'm turning over a new leaf, I'm just going to be a good person. It doesn't work. It won't change you. The only way when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man can come by the Father, but by me. We are drawn to the word of God. Scripture doesn't tell us everything we may want to know about everything. It tells us everything we need to know about the most important things. It gives gives us something that the internet, with all its terabytes of information, never could. It gives us wisdom. 
The purpose of the Holy Scripture is not ultimately to make you smart or to make you relevant or to make you rich or to get you a job or to get you married or to take all your problems away or to tell you where to live. The aim is that you might be wise enough to put your faith in Christ and be saved. Single purpose. So let's go through those facets of what we believe in the Word of God. It is inspired. All scripture is inspired by God. Inspiration comes from the Greek word theonoustos. Theo means God, noustos means breathed. God breathed. All scripture, God has breathed into his word. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter how great my day is, how dark my day is, when I have this in my pocket and I read it, there is like the Bible says, the entrance of your word brings light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. When I read this, suddenly it illuminates the place where I am. It doesn't matter how tough or dark or bad it is. The word of God shines into that. And we are invited to come back into that relationship with the word of God as the inspired word of God. I want to talk about that just for a few moments if I can. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding for human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke through and from God. And so there's this whole point where God, by his Holy Spirit, spoke to those who wrote it and moved them by the Holy Spirit. We see it kind of demonstrated just in a minor form when James is just sat in a meeting and suddenly he feels the power of God and God starts to speak into him and then say, well, God, you're speaking to him. How can I write that down? How can I put that into the narrative or the lyrics or the words of a song? And how can I sing that? That's how God can work. God wants to speak for you, but God has narrated his words through men and women of God. We are, without a shadow of a doubt, under a little bit of batter. There's something called liberal theology. Or others might call it modern Christianity. I just want to boil that down. Simply, there is a diversion and a separation where liberal theology means we no longer see this as the authority of word of God. We are more interested in rationale and human wisdom, and human experience. And so there was a switch within liberal theology from conservative theology. This is actually, we're all down to the human mind and the human rationale. And we're just going to, how do we feel today about them? We prefer seeing the life of Jesus. That actually our authority comes from Jesus. That's what liberal theology means, which I kind of was, had a little bit of hope. I'm going, oh, that's good, because I can see the word of God and Jesus. But they separate Jesus and the word of God. It's a big mistake. You can't do that. The word of God tells about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. You know, I can unpack that if you want, but it is divinely connected. And so, well, they take the good things that Jesus said. They downgrade Jesus from the divine to being a good teacher. They say he weren't the miracles of Jesus Christ. They, don't, they didn't happen really. They're just like, like metaphysical. They're just like a paradox. They're just like illustrative. You know, they're just there to help us to understand a wider agenda. And you all sit and they go, but what does that mean? Each time it's a watering down of moving away and there is an attempt by the devil to water down the words of God and so having a form of godliness but denying its power. So there is a call for us to have conservative traditional theological values. It is okay to be liberal to all people. 
in our relationships, and in our connectivity, in our pastoral approach, but in our beliefs and our theology, we need to have a conservative theological foundation that says, I believe in the Word of God. Is anybody who agrees with that? It's challenging, isn't it? I get that. There's like a fight for it, you know, because I feel like, wow, we don't want to hear this anymore. So traditionally, Protestant theologians have highlighted four essential characteristics of Scripture. Sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. Sufficiency means the Scriptures contain everything we need for the knowledge of salvation and God living. We don't need a new revelation from heaven. God has put it in here. If the Bible says it, we believe it. And we need to understand that, and it's got everything we need. Number two, clarity. The saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in Scripture and can be understood by all who have ears to hear it. We don't need an official magisterium to tell us what the Bible means. The Bible can speak to you. The best thing I can do this morning is say, give you a Bible and just say, go and read that and say, God, would you help me to understand what this is all about? If you're struggling to read it, find somebody who knows how to read it and knows how to understand it, and they will be a guide for you, but they will guide you not of their experiences, but what the Word of God says. Authority. The last word goes to the Word of God. We must never allow the teachings of science or human experience or church councils to take precedence over Scripture. We're holding the Word of God as our final authority revealed in Jesus Christ. And finally, necessity. The general revelation, it is not enough to save us. We cannot know God solely by means of personal experience and human reasoning. We need God's word to tell us how to live, who Christ is, and how to be saved. This is our manifesto. This is our manuscript. This is our rule book for life. This is a love letter. And if I can just talk about infallibility, which means there's no mistakes in it. You know, a lot of people will say to me, I mean, it's just the Bible's just written with mistakes in it. So I was like, oh, great. Can you just talk to me about them? And they're like, yeah, because I've just heard it quoted, isn't it? You know, it's like, well, there's this many interpretations to that particular scripture. I said, I'd love to hear them. So just, you'll find that. There's just a lot of hair out there. And I'm very happy to engage this. But I just want to talk about a fusion. All right. So when you get two collaborative artists who are working together, two different styles, two different ways of writing songs, they will come together and they will share the same space and they fuse together. So what they do, they bring the best of each other and we'll get all the different musical styles that's from and we appreciate that. But what God does in his word, by the way, is this incredible thing. He brings his glory and he fuses it with us. Now, for God to fuse anything with me, it's going to be slightly imperfect. Even in what I say today, there's a slight imperfection to that. All oh, recorded music, by the way. One of its geniuses is a slight imperfection. They've tried getting perfect music because we can do it mathematically with all the synths now. It doesn't sound as good. Anybody remember records? Vinyl. Do you know that? You know, on that, people somehow love that. It adds value and depth and vintage, you know, to the experience that we get in that. But, you know, the Word of God, he, he speaks to man, you know, and even Paul, you'll see stuff leak through him that's his personal preference into the Word of God. And we can do that, and that's okay. Because God is okay embodying himself. For goodness sake, he chose to embody himself in the Jewish people. 
You know, I'm, I'm, you know, if you know anything about the Jewish people, this stubborn, hard-necked, and God says that, by the way. I'm not misquoting them. We're having to go at the Jewish people. But God chose to fuse himself in there so that we might look at his plans and purposes because God is okay working with us. And so in God, just in, 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 he, he wraps himself up into culture. And we believe this is the divine revelation of God. I'm going to pull the band up if that's all right. There's different translations that we can use. And some people will often ask me for practical wisdom. And Aaron, what's the best kind of version to, to read, right? Do not get into, the, into this. I'll just give you one. Let's, we're not going to argue about the most holy divine translation. It's a lot more nuanced than that. So I can give you some tips. If you want to study the word of God, you need to get what's called a word-for-word translation. Okay, so the New King James, the King James Version, the NASB, that word-for-word translation, which means from the original language is taken word by word. And they're really good for study. This is the New Living Translation. If you want to read out, you know, and you want to have a flow of reading, if you're sitting in a group and you want to share the same translation, it's really good to use what's called a thought-for-thought or thrace-for-thrace translation. Which is quite normal, by the way, because if Levy was to come up here and speak in Portuguese and he was translating English to Portuguese or Portuguese to English, either way, it would be insufficient for me just to say pig in star. He would say, Aaron, could you just give me the context of what you're saying? Because I need to construct the sentence of that. That's how we communicate. And so there are some Bibles that construct sentences together and they offer a flow. And so the NLT is a classic for that. You read it, you'll get this flow of language that will go through and then there's paraphrases. Now paraphrases kind of just recommend you reading for expression. You're reading for this artistic kind of worship thing. It, it, it offers just kind of widen some of our language so that we can move into this. I would never recommend you take a paraphrase like the message translation and you, you build your salvation, this kind of theology on that version. But it's okay to read. Provided it confirms what is written in the original text. There's different reasons for different versions. We're not here to fight about them. We're here to find the best way to communicate. There is a world out there who's never read the pages of this book. I can tell you this, if I read New King James to them, they wouldn't understand any of it. That's why the Good News Version was written, that it could go to the undeveloped, non-English speaking world to understand the great news of Jesus Christ. We need to do that. God uses us to do it. And so want us to do that. But I want us to come as we bring and finish with this moment, that if the Bible is the all-sufficient Word of God, and if it is the rule for our faith and practice, I want you to just take your Bible in your hand. I am old-fashioned in the sense, I, I know all technology, I know how to use it. And you, if you've got it on your phone, take your phone out, put it in your hand. Don't go to Facebook. Because if you've got your phone, either way, however you access the Bible, it's all good, it's all great. I love pages still. This is a new one this year. And the reason it's new, because if I put my old one up, it's falling apart a little bit, but my eyes are getting a little bit less effective as when they used to. So you notice when you start to kind of move the pages further when you I'm at that stage of age, I do apologize, but I need bigger text. But this is personal to me. It's my Bible. I want to hold it because in it carries the power of God. Gandhi said this, you Christians have in your keeping a document with enough dynamite in it to blow up the whole of civilization to bits, to turn this world upside down, to bring the peace of this war-torn world, but you read it as if it were just good literature. 
and nothing else. If Gandhi understood the power of what was in these pages, how much more should the followers of Jesus Christ? For the word of God is full of living power. Hebrews 4 verse 12. It is sharper than the sharpest knife. It cuts deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. Jeremiah 29 verse 21. Does not your word burn like fire? I want you to take your book and your phone. And I'm going to invite you into going on to a journey of discovery to start reading your Bible again. You might go, I'm already reading it, but this prayer you'll see was it. Is not your word like fire? Just put your hand on it like this. And just say, God, I want you to speak to me for your word. As I read it this week, I want the powers of these words to become living, alive, and active in my life. Would you bring freedom? Would you bring illumination? Would you bring faith? Would you bring wisdom? Would you bring joy into my life? I believe that your word is all sufficient, infallible, inspired by you, and gives me the direction for right living and faith. challenge this week is to read the Bible on your own. So we have small groups, but we, we read the Bible together. And then we come into larger gatherings like today where we study and we reflect on the Bible. I want us to just up that discipline to do a little bit more. So if you haven't got a Bible, go buy one. Gary is here, by the way, he runs a bookshop next door, Gary and Mary. I'm sure they'll quite happily be the dealer of Bibles in this house. I know a man who can get what you need, you know, exactly. And uh, it's far better than the other stuff out on the streets, but it would change your life. So if you want to see it to Gary and Mary, I'll gladly put you in there. Can I just be real honest? If you can't afford one, come and see me. I will get you one for free. A shadow of that. It will be an absolute privilege to put into your hands the Word of God. If you're new on your faith journey, if you're not quite there, start here. 